Well, good day, guys. Welcome to Life in the Peloton. I'm Mitch Stocker, and we've got a cracking episode for you. I know I say that all the time, but this one is a very special episode coming up. The podcast is being brought to you by Rafa. Now, Rafa has been supporting Life in the Peloton for the last couple of years because our stories align. Their purpose is to inspire the world to live life by bike. They do this first and foremost by creating the world's best cycling clothing, but also through their films and features to tell cycling stories to inspire people to get out there and ride bikes themselves. Well, guys, as you heard me say at the start, we've got a cracking episode and it is cross season. It's up and racing. Racing has started. We've just ended the long road season and we're just about to kick off the winter season with cyclocross racing. Well, what is cyclocross racing? You might be asking out there. Put simply, it's the form of bike racing that runs during autumn and winter, but it's off-road. It's normally on a technical two to three lap course over grass, could be mud, with obstacles as well. It's all on a bike that's not too far from a road bike as well. Now, to learn a little bit about the history and to help explain all the ins and outs of this sport, I not only have gone away and found someone who can do all that, but I've gone and got the best in the business, Sven Nice. He has the ability to teach and talk about cyclocross to anyone, and I mean anyone, like kids right up to the pros, from the ins and outs, the background, but that's because he was an absolute champion. He is the best that has ever thrown a leg over a cyclocross bike, or should I say, thrown a cyclocross bike over his shoulder. I can tell you right now how privileged we are to have him on the podcast, but not only to be able to chat to him about his amazing career, but to take us through the sport from the beginning right up until what's going on right now with today's superstars, you know, the Van Arts, the Vanderpols. Now, guys, just before we get to this episode, I often get asked, is there anything I've taken over from my pro-life? And the one thing is AG1. AG1 was founded in 2010 by New Zealand native Chris Ashenden, the current CEO, as a way to make optimal performance and nutrition easy and convenient. And that's exactly what it is. It provides a concentrated source of nutrients, includes probiotics, and it's NSF certified for sport which means it's been tested and approved to not contain unsafe levels of contaminants, prohibited substances, or masking agents. Really important when you're a professional athlete to know that 100% sure what you're taking is clean and free from prohibited substances. But look, these days I'm taking AG1 for general health and to help me have a consistent level of energy in my daily life. And aside from that, I really enjoy the simple routine that it gives me, a daily healthy habit I get from having AG1. Getting up, having AG1 first thing in the morning. AG1 is just about for everyone, athletes, people like you and me, and everyone in between. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, The Athletic Greens is giving you a one free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton. That's drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton. Guys, sit back and enjoy this one. Cross season has started and it's time to get a little bit of education on the sport. So we know what we're watching when we're sitting back this winter. I bring you the goat of cyclocross, Sven Nice. Hi Sven, wow, what a pleasure to have you on Life in the Peloton. 
the ruler of the winter, the king of the Cobbenberg, Mr. Super Prestige, the Emperor of Cross, the Cannibal from Baal, and the man who conquered all. The man of many names, amazing nicknames. So great to have you on the pod. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's always a pleasure and nice to, to talk about cyclocross. And we are at the beginning of the new cyclocross season. So uh, bring it on. Well, that's exactly why I thought this episode would be perfect now because my audience are predominantly road. They need to be educated in such a great sport. Well, may a lot of people may be listening to this and going, hey, I know about cyclocross, but wait a second. After this episode, you're going to know a whole lot more. I think the best thing about you, Sven, is you've got the Sven Nice Academy. And something that I noticed, especially when you and I were together, was you have such a great way, even though you're such a renowned champion, you've done everything, you're able to just bring it back and relate to me or even relate to children and still teach the sport. That's yeah. that's something that I think is going to be great. And that's what I want to do with you first off is go right back to the beginning. I know you've probably told this a million times, but we need to know the history of cyclocross before we get into it. And where did this style of cycling even come from? Um, it's really old sports. It's one of the oldest sports in cycling. Um, it's coming out of France. Uh, there. I think cyclocross is, is a sport where you can learn all the skills, um, where you can learn all the explosivity, the power, the way how you need to shift, the way how you need to ba- hold your balance on a bike. It's something that a road rider is doing during winter, actually with his road bikes, uh, <laughs> with a bit more grip on the tires. And yeah, a long time ago, there was nothing else than, than the road bike um, and then make it a little bit more off-road uh, during winter season to to stay in shape. And, and it's coming out of France. After a while, Belgium was involved. Um, and on a certain moment, yeah, the most important races are now in Belgium. And the things changed when the mountain bike became an Olympic sport. Oh. I think 96 was yeah. Atlanta was the first time uh, the Olympics were for mountain bike. A lot of budget, a lot of money uh, went into cyclocross before. Oh, right. Coming out of France, uh, Czechia, Germany, uh, Spain, Italy. Um, but the moment mountain bike became an Olympic sport, the budget went to, to mountain bike and all the federations uh, stopped investing in cyclocross a little bit more. And then we saw uh, a big change in cyclocross. A lot of countries where a lot of races were at that moment stopped organizing. But Belgium has the history. Belgium uh, stayed involved. And, and we had a lot of big names at that moment that became world champion mm. at that moment. That's the way how we build it up cyclocross again. 90% of all our races are live on TV. It's every week and Saturday, Sunday, um, people are watching cyclocross on TV. We have a lot of yeah, big names. The, the, okay. If you see the UCI ranking, um, they're coming out of Holland or they're coming out of Belgium. And the young kids, they see the big names. They can touch them, actually. <laughs> and that's one of the things that's really important, that uh, for the kids, that they can see um, how things are going, that they learn from them, that they can train with them. Uh, can uh, go to to races and and that's that's really important and that's that's the reason why cyclocross still is really popular and um, what we have right now is that it's getting bigger and bigger because of a few big names in cycling um, for the moment and that's Wout van Aert, Mathieu van der Poel, also Pitcock right now and then the interest came more out of the whole world yeah and and that's really that's really good for the moment yeah it's step by step that 
cycling in total now learns um, what the level of cyclocross is and it's it's huge it's and exactly what you said it's it's becoming back in the spotlight and a more understanding it even for myself understanding the level of you guys you know for me i just completely disregarded the level of cyclocross riders i just thought oh yeah this is just something you guys you know ride around a bit of a field in oh i certainly learned yeah. the hard way myself when i did one but also seeing these guys come out of it and just puts it in a bit more perspective about the type of rider and like you spoke about the skills but also the engine that this type of sport is producing yeah that's true and i I think um one of the things is of course it's one hour with a really high heart rate Mm. that's what everybody knows but the thing is when you're doing cyclocross really well even when the heart rate stays high stay high you can feel that you can recover healing in the legs can 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 be uh, sometimes that you have a little bit of recovery because you are shifting right, you make a corner really right, you can jump barriers. Um, these are a split of a second, but at that moment you can feel, hey, I can recover <laughs> a little bit and and uh, and go full afterwards again. And that's what cyclocross is all about. You need to have all those skills mm. in the end, the winner of the race. It's not only I go full out uh, one hour with a heart rate of, of 190 and, and I can win. No, no, no. The skills that you need to have to have also a moment that you feel, oh, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm in control now. That's what cyclocross is all about. Well, let's take it back a couple of steps then and let's talk about what type of person and what's, what makes a cyclocross rider, you know, because there is skill that's a big part of it. They've got to have an engine, you know, but is it is there sort of an upper body sort of strength they need to be able to jump on and off the bike? They've got to be able to run. It's a combination of all these things. Like you, you did speak about skill. That was one of your sort of um, biggest sort of attributes as a rider, but it wasn't only the skill. Tell me about what, in your opinion makes up a really good cyclocross rider. Yeah, I think a cyclocross rider is is uh, more a guy who has also an upper body that's that has a lot of muscles. Mm. Um, you, you use also your arm muscles, you use also the upper body much more than in a road race. And, and you see now that when you can hold your balance, when you accelerate, uh, the power is coming out of your back. If you stand up and accelerate, what normally a road rider is doing a lot, uh, in cyclocross, Often you can't do that because otherwise your wheel is slipping. Yeah. You start spinning because there is no traction anymore on your back wheel. So you need to sit on the saddle. You need to have weight on the saddle. Uh, otherwise you don't have the traction anymore. So you're doing your acceleration on a total other position than on a road bike. And that means that your upper body needs to be strong. You use your arms much more. Then on the road uh, on the road bike so you are more a complete rider because also you need to run uh jump off the bike on the bike hold your balance balance on a really low speed so every everything the core mm. what rider is doing now also much more than 10 20 years ago is something in cyclocross that you need to do always otherwise you're out of control well what about now how often are you guys racing and run me through what it looks like for a cyclocross season because it is that's another element you know the road riding sure we have these tours and you punch out every day a race but then there's long periods of break the thing with cyclocross is once that season starts you're off and away and talk me about the schedule of a cyclocross season and even a race you know how long are these races how many laps are we talking about when you talk about a really cyclocross athlete and not a, an athlete that also has the ambition to be a really good road rider because you have now uh, two different kind of cyclocross mm-hmm. riders, the guys who 
want to be really good in both disciplines. But the, the Lars van der Haars and on all those guys who are really focused only on cyclocross, they also have only three weeks of holiday after the cyclocross season. <laughs> so they, they ended the cyclocross season the end of February. Then they have, let we say, the month of March, they have free. And then they start building up again their shape. In the part of the, the building up, they do a lot of distance. They do a lot of power training, uh, core stability training, uh, running a little bit, but uh, starting up and building a wall. That's how I say it. Yeah, building a, a base, a basic uh, shape. And uh, the better you do it, the more uh, volume you create, the better you are prepared for the cyclocross season. Because after a while, you start riding road races, and that's for the intensity for the explosivity, uh, for the, the heart rate going up and down a little bit more. That's now a little bit easy, but uh, building up first, then the intensity going going up with road cycling. And then in August, they start training more in the field, uh, short accelerations, um, the, the, the technique up and off the bike, jumping on and off the bike, uh, riding again with really flat tires uh, and, and making a corner with uh, pressure that is 1.2 bar. <laughs> the tire is really extreme low, but they they need to, to adapt a little bit more again. And then in the half of September, they start the cyclocross season. So three weeks off, building up a big wall, volume, uh, intensity, and then go to the cyclocross season. And if you are prepared really well, you see it directly in the beginning of the cyclocross mm -hmm. season. And if you need to change things and you need to, to work on the level in the cyclocross season, it's not yeah, so yeah, easy. Not too easy. You need, you need to be ready. And then you start hitting that wall. The better the wall is built, the longer you can hold your shape until the end of the cyclocross season. Because it's really intense. It's 40 races from half of September until half of February. The intensity is getting up in the Christmas period where you have almost every day a big race. So it's every race one hour for the men. It's in between 40 and 50 minutes for the women, but it's really intense. And, and then you, after one lap, they uh, count how many laps they, you are going to do in between one hour. So after two laps, they, you know how much laps you need to do in that one, one hour. And then, yeah. Then, then everything starts. Uh, it's, it's really, really intense. So tell me about this because, yeah, I guess some people are probably imagining, you know, cyclocross riders just cruising around the fields doing, you know, gravel as we talk about it now on their cross bikes all the season. But actually, they're on their road bikes since the end of the season right up until probably about a month or six weeks before the cross season. Is that necessary? Is that planned? Or they just don't want to be off-road? Why wouldn't they ride their cross bikes in the field all off season? Yeah, a few a few of the riders uh, want to have that feeling of the cyclocross bike also during summer season and uh, one time a week they ride in the field mm. a little bit. Uh, but that's for every rider is different. Mm. Um, sometimes the riders adapt really well and don't use the cyclocross bike until the end of August. But a few others they they ride a little bit in the week during the whole season. It's a little bit more easy than mountain bike, for example, because uh, 
um, the way how you sit on your bike is almost the same as a road bike. So the handlebar is maybe a little bit more more higher than a road bike. So it's a little bit less aerodynamic. You're sitting a little bit longer uh, with the stem uh, with a road bike. Um, it's more handy when you have a, a shorter stem when you need to uh, to have some corners. But almost the same position from a road rider and a cyclocross rider is 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 there so that makes things a little bit more easy let's talk about lastly before we move on to you the atmosphere of a cyclocross race is something i got to experience firsthand last year i was over there at one of the super prestigious and it was just so electric and i was like i wish i could be in belgium to watch more of these races a couple of things with the atmosphere i want to talk about the atmosphere of the race but also then on the start line tell me what you guys are feeling as you're waiting yeah. for that green light to drop because it is there's no time they they tell you the start's going to go in within 30 seconds you just got to wait it's like a a grid start isn't it cyclocross is is a is a discipline where everybody wins that's what i always say <laughs> it's a closed circuit so it's a course for three three and a half kilometers so it's a closed circuit uh, you need to pay to come in the event in belgium so the organizer wins. He can uh, he can make VIP areas uh, for the sponsors. It's live on TV, so everybody it's covered. Uh, there is a party tent for, for guys who, who are not really interested in the race, but the music and 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 all the the beer and and uh, French fries and all those things. So everybody wins. It's really different than a stage race where you start uh, in a village and go to another village. But it's also with gravel. It's it's a do sport. You want to join the event and ride the event yourself cyclocross is watching the professional riders it's not that you're doing the sport yourself at that day but for the rider it's really intense uh, you need to build it up also from early in the morning uh, do the warm-up on the trainers uh, do the record of the of the lap three four laps to see how the course is the underground what pressure of the tires you need it's like formula one you need to talk with your mechanics uh, how uh, fast am, am i going to switch to another bike because it's becoming too heavy there is too much mud do i need to play with the pressure of the tire do i need to change the grip of the tire so it's it's really technical and and you you're always in um in control as a rider and need to talk with your mechanic in the pit to see which bike is for me perfect at that day at that moment because it can start raining and the, and the setup of the bike needs to be completely different uh -huh. at that moment. Um, so you need to, to take a decision before the race. Am I on the good bike with the good pressure and the good tires? And then you warm up like like a time trial mm -hmm. and your rate needs, needs to be really high. I, I, can, I can tell you that you need to have no food in the stomach anymore. But the food needs to be in your legs already because otherwise you are going to be, your feeling is going to be really bad during the whole race. So the energy needs to be in the legs already. And then you start sprinting directly when the green light is on. And, and, and it's actually sprinting until the finish. Are you feeling like on that moment when you're waiting for the line, because I, I felt so nervous watching even waiting, I could I was like, how are these guys not more nervous just waiting on that start grid, knowing what's in front of you? Like you said, knowing that whole preparation from that day, knowing you've got an hour of pain coming and you're sitting there just waiting. Take me through what it's like that last 30 seconds. It's really nervous. The heart rate is going up because of how nervous you are. That's That's normal also because of the warm-up, but you know that the first hit on your pedal needs to be right. You miss the pedal, you're in the middle of the peloton, you need to have half 
an hour to come back in front and your competitors, the guys who you try to beat, they know where you are. And if you not be in front of the race in the beginning of the race, yeah, you know that they're going to go full out uh, and, and don't bring you back to the to the front. And you need to wait also when you have a bad start uh, until there is space to move up a little bit because it's not like on the road that you say, okay, hey, I, I have time now, I can pass the riders. No, no, no. You need to know where you make your move because your heart rate is going up when you accelerate. You need to wait the right moment, maybe with a special technique, jumping <laughs> barriers. But the first hit on the pedal, the first moment you click in, you shift, that needs to be directly spot on. Otherwise, um, you can uh, lose the race because mm. of that. So, and that's really, really intense. Oh, beautiful. Well, it's time to crack a cold one here for me. And I hope wherever you are in the world, listen to this. It's just ticked over to Bureau Clock as well for you guys. I'm sure you've heard or you've seen on the interwebs that together with our good friends over at Bridge Road Brewers out of Beechworth, that the second batch of Life in the Peloton is out. How exciting. The first batch flew off the shelves and there were some kegs floating around at a few pubs but that went pretty quick as well. And I can only speak from experience here at my local, the Lancefield Hotel, it took a mere 48 hours to empty their first keg. So if you haven't tried it yet, get over to breachroadbrewers.com and order yourself one before it goes again. It's really exciting times for the guys at Bridge Road Brewers because as you may have heard me say, the brewery started out of the historical town of Beechworth. Now, they've just opened their very first Melbourne brewery venue in East Brunswick. It's right there, smack bang in the heartland of Australian craft beer. Amazing brand new venue with indoor and outdoor seating, modern Australian dining menu, and of course, with the classic Bridge Road Brewers pizzas. But most importantly, there are 30 taps pouring beers. And yes, one of them is the Life in the Peloton beer. I was lucky enough to get in there just before the doors officially opened a few weeks ago and help break in the tap lines, you could say. It was really cool, and I'm looking forward over this summer to getting in there for a few more frothies, I can tell you. Right, guys, let's just get back to this episode. Well, Sven, let's, we got to talk about your career now because as you heard at the start of the podcast, a man of many nicknames, but they're there for a reason. Let's start right back in the beginning, and you started in BMX... Tell me why yeah. you crossed over to cyclocross because you were a great sort of eight-time, I think, national champion I was reading. I found out somewhere you were very good at BMX as a young guy, but you decided to cross a, go across the cyclocross. In what you were just telling me, seemed like a bit of a period where cyclocross, I don't know, was it on that downwards file? It wasn't as big, you know, because it was in that period where mountain biking, like you said, was going to the Olympics. Why cyclocross for you? I started as a kid, uh, indeed, as, as a BMX rider, but at that time, BMX was not an Olympic sport. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw in Belgium that BMX and the popularity of the sport getting down a little bit. And at a certain moment, we have a world champion cyclocross uh, at the professional rider, that was Danny De Bee, uh, and he lived 5K from where I was born. And at that moment, I was a BMX rider, and I went with my flag and my, my small bike to his village and to see when he arrived as a world champion in his village and and they painted his roof uh, with the colors of the of the world champion <laughs> uh, the, and i was there and i said wow this is also something i want to do 
because I can use my BMX skills in the field with a cycling bike. I like this much more than a road uh, than a road race. And then I tried when I was 15 years old a cyclocross bike, and there were some ditches and some barriers in the course. There was a half an hour race for for uh, for the, the the young guys, and I jumped the ditch, and all the other guys need to run. And I say, wow, this is something I can I can. Uh, <laughs> Be the best thing directly. Yeah. That was the moment I I fell in love with cyclocross, and and I never stopped anymore. <laughs> step by step, um, I grew up with cyclocross. Uh, won uh, some races, became two times a world champion as an under twenty three rider in the Olympic Stadium in Munich, uh, where they had at the track and field where the finish was in the Munich Stadium. Uh, some barriers and i won the world championships uh, against miguel martinez maybe you know the name because now his son is going uh, to vuelta and and uh is uh, in the, the red jersey uh he was olympic champion mountain bike afterwards but that were that was my age category and i won in, in munich the first time and then i said okay i i want to be a professional cyclocross rider and that's how things started and and uh, with my skills jumping barriers yeah, the power I didn't have in the beginning. I can I can uh, do something special uh, with less power because I jump barriers and all the other riders need to run. And and then the power came with my technique and then I became the best uh, cyclocross rider in the world. Well, that's like you said, you, you started that phenomenon. I think some people had attempted jumping barriers before, but after that, they're like, everyone needs to jump barriers. Tell me a little bit about now signing for a dutch team you signed pro 1998 99 you decide to go with a dutch team other rather than a belgian team and when you hit the ground running your first professional debut at root of order you get a win there that's first season 14 wins in your first career including a world cup you certainly hit the ground running tell me what it was like you know signing like that that sort of signing with the dutch team and moving into the pro ranks and really starting to find your straps and going Okay, I know this sports for me, but now I'm really feeling like one of the big guys. Uh, there was interest from a lot of uh, Belgian professional uh, road teams also, because at that time, and that's different than what you see right now, at that time, you didn't have professional cyclocross teams. If you want to be a professional cyclocross rider, you need to be involved in a road team. And uh, Jan Raas uh, with Rabobank mm-hmm. at that time had the interest after I went two times world champion in the U23 category to sign me in, in, in his team. And I said directly, whoa, I can learn from uh, Adrie van der Poel, mm. the dad from Mathieu, and Richard Groenendaal. And those guys were older than me, but at that time they were the best cyclocross rider in the field. And I said directly, okay, if I can learn from the best riders, they can help me. They can bring me also to really high level road races where I yeah create more volume I'm going to be also a better uh, cyclocross rider. And those things, um, the professional team that they had with the best road races that I could dream of and then with all my skills that I created out of BMX, directly I I could win Yeah, in a young age, directly um, big races. And in the beginning, I suffered with hard races, muddy, with a lot of power because I was young and I didn't have the power. I won all the races where I could use my skills in the beginning of the season really fast. Um, But the harder ones, I needed to wait a a while until I became a man and and became stronger. And step by step, all those things came together. But I think I, I started directly in a good team 
where everything was really professional and that helped me a lot. Take me through what happened in around 2000, the 2000 World Championships. And as you spoke about there, you know, Richard Gronendahl, he goes away and there was a bit of controversy out of that. And like I was saying before, you're a Belgian guy on a Dutch team. When it comes to the World Championships, this is something that we see on the road as well. Not as often as you would think. All of a sudden, you're racing with your teammates all year. You get to one race at the end of the year and you're supposed to race for your country and the guy that you've worked for all year, your teammate, you got to try and chase him down. It's a weird sensation. I've had it myself. And then the next week, you're back on your trade teams. Tell me what happened in 2000 because, you know, it was it was quite a funny situation. Explain to everyone what happened. Yeah, it's it's a really complicated situation where during the whole season, I was winning a lot together with my teammate, Richard Grunendahl, mm. but he came out front. He was uh, for a Dutch team. I was for the Belgium team. And the other guy who won a lot was a Belgium guy, Mario de Klerk. So we were with three guys who were also the favorites for world championships. So one of them was my teammate. And the other guy was coming out of my my country. So we need to ride together. Really complicated. And in the beginning of the race, Richard Grunendahl, so my teammate out of Holland, he accelerated. And at that moment, I was in second position. And the Belgium guy, who was also really fast in a sprint, uh, was in my wheel. And at that moment, Richard attacked and I waited. And I said to myself, okay, when I want to win those world championships myself at that moment it's my teammate out of belgium who needs to help me because i can't ride after my teammate Mm. coming out of holland we are riding together for the whole season but the belgium guy who said yeah if i need to ride now i can win not myself also and frustrated because i said yeah i'm going not going to ride after my teammate coming out of Holland and the guy out of Belgium, he said, yeah, but if I need to ride now, I can't win also, not not all, uh, also not the race. And and maybe Sven is going to win. So we didn't work together. And uh, Richard uh, went away and, and won world championships. But there was a lot of frustration mm. because the intensity between Belgium and Holland was really high. And at that moment, I decided to ride for my teammate coming out of Holland as a Belgian guy. Mm. Uh, that, that the fans were not happy at that moment. I was a young guy, 22, 23 years old, and I get all the pressure on my shoulders as a Belgian guy in Holland that didn't work with his Belgian teammate. That was really frustrated, and I learned a lot from that uh, after, uh, afterwards. But um, you see it more often, and you know it also, that it's sometimes really complicated at World Championships where you need to ride for your teammate, not for your teammate, for the guy coming out of the same country, how are you handled those things? Not easy. Well, it's it's an interesting point. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because it's something that I've tried to understand myself and I can never, will never be able to understand it because I'm not a Belgian and I don't live in Belgium, but I can only compare it to a sport here in Australia. It's Australian football, uh, Aussie rules. And growing up with that expectation of just living in the place that the sport is thriving. And as a Belgian, yeah. and that's what I wanted to bring this up for, is that as you're as a Belgian, you are living in Belgium, in the heart of cyclocross, with these expectations. You know, and this was this was only this was the beginning of this this sort of pressure, I guess. As a young bloke, you you understood this. 
you know, this sort of world's debacle, but things went on. Tell me a little bit about, just before we talk about that, I really want to discuss the roll-on effect of that and the controversy in 2004, where things sort of kept bubbling away. And again, it's Gronendale. You were going for the World Cup win and suddenly your Belgian teammates were almost working against you. Now we're not talking about a world championship. We're talking about just a normal race. Looks like for me, your Belgian teammates almost flicked you. Yep. Tell me a little bit about this because this, I feel like, was the boiling point of Sven Nice. True. Uh, I, you need to know that at that time, also the World Cups, we needed to ride in the national jersey. Although there were five or six World Cups at that time, and you need to ride in the national jersey. So now at this moment, it's not like that anymore. You need to ride in your team jersey. But at that moment, we were the National Federation going to the World Cup. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's that's <laughs> something you need to know. But also the same riders were involved. Uh, Grunendal and, and, and myself, we were in front uh, for winning the overall World Cup uh, series. And it was the last race. And I won all those um, races the years before. I won every year something big. And the frustration from also 2000 with World Championships and Belgium Holland and all those things, they were still in the heads of the riders. And at the moment, they felt that I was in a weak position where I could lose the World Cup and for the first time don't win a big overall series at that moment. The guys uh, felt, hey, now we're going to have the guy who is winning a lot on his knees. Jealousy maybe also a little mm-hmm. bit. Winning a lot on a certain moment, you feel that that they are also having fun when you are losing. And and at that time, Richard was the strongest in the race. He, uh, he went away and I felt if I have now the guys coming out of Belgium and they help me a, lo- a little bit, I can win easily the World Cup. I didn't need to win the race, but if I was Sixth or seventh, it was enough to win the overall ranking World Cup. But all the guys coming out of Belgium, they tried to pass me and I was eight or ninth in that race. And they were at the finish. You see a photo of all the riders who watched to the back and see, hey, hey, we got okay, him. finally, we, we got him. And, and that was really frustrated uh, at that moment. And, and I felt, okay, cycling, um, professional athlete, it's not something where riders help you. It's something you need to do alone. It's really hard. There is jealousy involved. Uh, there is frustration. There is. So if you want to be the best guy in the world, it's going only about yourself. In the beginning of my career, I was a guy who was a little bit too, uh, how you say it in English, uh, the guy who said, okay, they... They are going to help me. Mm. I was too naive. I was too soft. Yeah, too naive. Yeah, too naive. It's a hard world where you where you're always alone, and you and and at that moment I switch the button and I say, okay, now they're gonna they're gonna know who Svenes is, and I'm going to uh, to kill them uh, in in every race that's going to come. And that's that's the the year where I uh, starting to write a book. Yeah, I think 2004, 2005 was my strongest year out of my career where I every, I, I won everything. All the GCs, Belgium championships, world championships became the number one of the world. Maybe they, they after a while, they they, <laughs> they think to themselves, it was maybe better to do not those things at that moment because afterwards we didn't want anymore. Well, they, they created the cannibal from Val, um, you know, and I think that's where the nickname... That's how everything started, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, tell me just before we move on to that, because I think there was something really interesting out of that whole period, and I know it's going to continue on, was tell me about outside of the, the cycling scene, outside of the cyclocross circuit, what was the pressure like from the public, from the Flandrian people, from Belgium's, you know, because as you explained, when cross takes over in that season, it's cross everywhere. There's a million people watching it. So you must have felt the pressure. How did you do that? It grows step by step, and that's that's good uh, to have that feeling because the popularity of the sport uh, every year was getting bigger and bigger. So we also getting more experienced in all those things. It's what it was not only in the beginning in in 1999. Let we say half of the races getting live on TV. After a while, all the races getting live on TV, but they asked us also for television programs, going to radio stations. Uh, we were in all magazines uh, every, every day during the winter season. So the popularity uh, grew step by step. And on a certain moment, I think 2010, 2012, let we say, uh, when we came out of our houses and we went to a restaurant in Belgium, they knew where we were. A sport that's really popular and 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 even now i i stopped seven years now it's still there when i go to an event they know who i am uh, they ask uh, for for uh, for an autograph for a photo uh, and that's what cyclocross is all about in belgium it's one of the big sports um and and for me that's still my dream is that i can add all those feelings that emotions that popularity of those of that sport also in other countries because it's something really special. What about, like you spoke about then, walking down the supermarket? As a a sort of, I guess, a younger guy at that point, understanding that expectation and being able to, like you spoke about, 2005, and I I personally, I obviously don't know, but just from the results, 2006, 2007 was an amazing season. You know, you won all the leagues, like I said, the World Cup, the Prestige, the Trophy, 30 victories, yeah. around 30 victories. I think, what did you say before? There's only 35, 40 races in a season. So you practically won every yeah. race in the season. What was yeah. that like, though, understanding that expectation? Like you said, you were a killer at that moment. You didn't care. Did you ever feel this overwhelming pressure from the the public, from your own expectations, or you were able to shut that out? And if you were, how did you shut that out? No, I felt the pressure of the of the of the people a lot, but I could handle the pressure. Um, when I when I go back in town in in time, I I can remember that staying at the start line and 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 that feeling. And I even talked sometimes <laughs> with the riders that were also at the start line. Oh damn, that feeling! That's not a good feeling. <laughs> that you need to uh, yeah to do something special, and uh, there are. 10, 20, sometimes 30,000 people around the course and they know my name. They know that I'm going to do something special, but you need to do it. Yeah. And every week again, on a certain moment, that was the pressure that, and, and that's maybe the way how I can explain it. I won the first eight races of the season. Uh, the, the, the ninth uh, race of the season, I became second. And in the newspaper, <laughs> there was the title, it's getting down with Spanish. <laughs> Because I was second. Yeah. That, that was the pressure I had at that yeah. moment. When I was second, I need to explain people why I was second. They expected you to win. And that's what I'm trying to talk about. That's It's something that young riders, as they're climbing, I'm talking about road riders now. It's a, a conversation I had with some sprinters I worked with. They couldn't handle this expectation. I win this week and I, you know, I don't win. I win, no one says anything. 
and I lose and the whole team comes down on me like a ton of bricks. And I said, think of a guy like Sven Nice, think of a guy like Mark Cavendish. It's able to use that and harness that pressure. And I think that's that's an, un- like we're talking about the physical skill of you as a writer, but I think the mental skill is something, is it, what was this something that you were able to sort of train yourself? Did you have some people around you? How, because this is a long period of time, this expectation. We're not talking about just one yeah. season. We're talking about practically your whole career. And you can learn it. And that's something I want to tell also, because when I was a BMX rider and I came in the finals after those semifinals, quarterfinals, and I came in the final, I was the guy who was always uh, had bad results because of the pressure in the final. Mm. I was not the guy who has the talent to have the best results when I was under pressure. So I needed to learn myself handling that pressure. And step by step, and that's maybe created because I won more and more, that um, on a certain moment I had the feeling, okay, when I'm not winning anymore now, during the middle of my career, it's okay. My career is complete. Um, I, I feel that 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 I'm happy with the the way how everything went. And then the pressure is, was was getting down a little bit. Mm. But there was always that feeling that ah oh, damn, I need to win because if I don't win anymore, I can I don't sign a contract anymore. I I want to be the guy who wins in five years also. Mm. But step by step, when I felt that my career became more complete, it's getting a little bit more uh, relaxed, the, the feeling. And then even when I felt that the, the there was a little bit more relaxed feeling, I even won more. <laughs> and, and on really important moments, that's also the reason why I became world champion a little bit later during my career. Even in 2013, when I was 37, I didn't feel pressure anymore. I was relaxed. I enjoyed, hey, I'm 37, I'm still here, I'm one of the big guys. Let's see what's going to happen. Mm. That's a really nice feeling. But that's cyclocross is, is and, and also yeah, other professional sports. It's not only about I'm talented, I have good skills, but uh, handling pressure is and, and being there at the right moment on the right uh, spot, not easy. Well, let's let's just talk about one last thing here before we move on to what's happening in cyclocross now. And you you brought it up, world champion in two thousand and five when you decided to put the foot down. But then you know eight years later, world champion in two thousand and thirteen. That also shows the longevity of your career and how good you were. But that was that one race, if I can say it, that just sort of eluded you. I can't remember how many times you were on the podium. Every other race you were able to capitalize on, but when it came to the worlds. What was it about the Worlds? I know you still won it two times. Listen to me saying that. But, you know, if you look at everything else, you should have been, buddy, 10 times world champion. Well, I think that uh, the thing I, I talked about five minutes ago is that I was not a guy who was handling the pressure really well when I was a young guy. Mm. I think I find it a way to create a really nice career, even when I could not win on uh, a really high pressure moment as a world championships. So I created for myself another way to win during the whole season and getting really famous and really popular because I was the guy who was standing there <laughs> from the first of the season until the end. And they said to me on a certain moment, okay, when, I, when he's not winning world championships, even without a world championships title, he's, he's, he's a really amazing rider. That helped me to getting the pressure down. Maybe I also, because of that, lost some world championships because I didn't save energy during the season for that right moment at the end of the season for world championships. But it was for me 
more handling the pressure and see in the end of my career, my career if I can win somewhere a world championship. Uh, it's another way to create a nice career. And, and uh, there are also guys who have really special careers without becoming world champion. And on a certain moment, the pressure went down. There was the right moment at the right spot. And I, I even won more than one uh, world championship. But it's because of the talent that I didn't have in the beginning of my career that I handled my career on another side. Well, I, I love the quote that you say after that and whether whether this is true or not, but something I found, my, my, my career is complete now. Um, and that was just sort of a nice wrap of the world's early in your career, the world's later in your career. And it, all the rest in between, it was sort of, it didn't need to be world champion because- there was a million yep. other victories in there as well. Let's let's have just a quick chat about what's going on in cyclocross now because I think this is why everyone's getting drawn back into the sport now. We've seen some amazing champions coming across. Walt Van Aert, Mathieu Van Der Poel, Pitcock. These guys are for me making cyclocross for the for the roadies popular again. You know, we're 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 having a look now because we can see these guys that we're watching on the road come back across the cyclocross. Help me explain help me understand a little bit why you didn't smash it on the road you know because like you're arguably much better than these guys in my opinion on in cyclocross you just dominate everything how come we didn't see something like this beforehand with the cyclocross riders coming across and dominating the road has things changed was the was it not as accepted to do both in your time because i know you still rode roubaix you still rode some classics but it wasn't as big a focus was it no it was i think uh a lot of things combined. Um, I think uh, road teams were not interested to, to bring cyclocross riders often to uh, uh, to road races. And at that time, I done three times Paris-Roubaix. But it was more the feeling that all the road guys said, hey, he's picking my spot as a cyclocross rider. He needs to stay in cyclocross. At, at this moment, you have more the feeling that, oh, let the cyclocross rider come to, to mm-hmm. Paris-Roubaix because they has a lot of knowledge. They, they, it's, it's a complete athlete. He can win the race. So I think it was not the right moment. Uh, there was not a lot of interest from road teams, but it was also a really difficult period in cycling in total. If we talk about the 90s and, yeah. and, and uh, in 2000, it was not easy as a young guy to have good results on on the road uh, when we talk about all the things that went wrong with uh, EP and all those things. And with all the skills I had in cyclocross and the talent and jumping barriers, and I felt directly, hey, this is for me a safe spot. This is the spot where I can be the best uh, really, really quick. And, and that's maybe also a decision why I said, okay, I want to try on the road, but my main focus needs to be cyclocross because this is where I can make career and I'm, and I'm sure that I can make career. And on the road, there were a lot of difficulties at that moment. And that at this moment, it's better. It's more easy as a young guy, and you see it also. Eh? The young guys win now the Vuelta. They win. They win <laughs> classics. It's now better for a young guy to come in the peloton than than in the beginning of two thousand. And do you think now cyclocross? You know, it's a great place for kids to start. But if you're thinking as a road career, or maybe maybe not, it's just 
what do you think is cyclocross giving these road guys that we're seeing? Is it a coincidence that we've just seen, you know, these three amazing talents come out of cyclocross? Or do you think it's actually the breeding ground that's produced these talents, you know? It's not a coincidence. I can tell you a lot of names. Roman Kreutzinger, uh, Peter Sagan, Alaphilippe, uh, all those guys come out of cyclocross. And I can I can talk maybe uh, 20, 30 riders more. Uh, when they, they come out of cyclocross. The only thing is, that's what I told you also uh, a few minutes ago, France, Czechia, uh, Spain, uh, all those countries, on a certain moment when they see that they have also really good skills on the road, they switch to the road and they don't stay in cyclocross afterwards. Mm. And now at this moment, we have some guys who still make the combination. But Alaphilippe, Sagan, they stopped completely with cyclocross. And I am convinced that when they stayed in cyclocross, they could combine it and they could make also more popularity for the cyclocross sport in their own country, but they stopped. Uh, but with Wojtje, they come out of countries where cyclocross is really famous. They want to be involved also in winter and they stayed in cyclocross. And that's the reason why we see now... Uh, yeah, that a few guys, yeah, the level they have, it's it's amazing. What what they do, the skills they have, it's crazy. Really happy that they stay involved in cyclocross also during 10, 15 races in winter because the focus now also out of other, other countries is, wow, cyclocross, we, we want to follow because the big guys are staying also there. And Pitcock is following now a few other young guys like my own son is going to make the combination. Really nice. And do you think that decision, like if you think back to your own time, is it a financial decision for those guys like the Alaphilippe's, the Sagans, or is it the popularity, like you said, you know, they can get more fame out of being on the road? And if you think yourself, a question I wanted to ask before was, did you look at those road races and think, oh, I, w- I really wish I was doing it, or it just actually didn't interest you? At that time, I was not really interested. I was having really, really much fun in mm. cyclocross, and I was happy that I could be part of a sport that was growing every week. Uh, the interest from the press, uh, from the public, I was part of that. And that's what I always say. If I maybe um, could realize that I can win one semi-classic or a classic during my career, E3 Press or 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 Kürne, Brussel Kürne or one of the, the races in Belgium, that would be amazing. But I stayed in Cyclocross and I won every year 20, 30 races. I um, I I fought, I fought with with three different uh, the, the the young guys the the, the guys who were twenty generations years old, the, the, yeah three different generations yeah, yeah. changed the sport um, so the way how I handled my career is for me the best decision mm. because I'm still involved in the sport I, I I let the sport grow and with one semi classic on the road. I was not the guy, and I was the, the, maybe that was amazing, but the, I was not the guy who I am now with decision I took and stayed in cyclocross. So for me, with the skills I had, the level I could create in cyclocross, it was the best decision. So lastly, Sven, I want to talk about your son, Tivo, who is coming through the ranks at the moment. I got the chance to meet him when I was over there. An amazing star who, you know, took took up cyclocross, the dream for you as a father. I've got my own kids now going, oh, I don't want to push them too hard, you know. I want them to find their own way. And he wanted to be a, a cyclist. With all that knowledge and that experience, all this stuff we've pretty much talked about the whole podcast. 
What's the best way that you're sort of trying to harness and support him along the way, the combination of road and cross and, you know, finding, you know, his, his love for the sport without overpowering him and without giving him too much, letting him learn his own way. Tell me about his little, his career so far and what are you sort of seeing, what you're loving about his career and where, where you think it might be going? Yeah, it's, it's crazy how fast it's going for the moment. Uh, I remember uh, the moments that he was also... Uh, when I was a professional athlete with this small bike uh, riding the course, um, I, everybody saw it. He was the young guy who um, stepped in my shoes and clicked in the pedals with his own small shoes and, and tried to, uh, to hold his balance. And now he's 20 uh, years old. He's becoming uh, a professional cyclocross rider, was world champion junior uh, cyclocross and this year world champion under 23. Uh, cyclocross became European champion on the road, uh, sixth at world championships in Belgium on the road. Uh, and he's now also one of the guys who is uh, in the world tour team for little track and won two races this year as a 20 year old kid but because that's how i i want to call him still <laughs> the pressure is on yeah and uh he has that name and the camera is always there mm. uh, even in a road peloton they try to find him when he's in the back when he's in the middle mm. when, when he's in the so he's feeling that pressure i think he has a different character than me and he can handle the pressure better than me huh. but i think that he learned from what is that did wrong, learned from, and he saw the camera always, 20 years long. He he talked with the camera uh, during his young uh, life. He can communicate much better as he, uh, his age than what I did when I was a young kid. But he needs to learn a lot and he needs to make mistakes more and more and learn from them. I don't want to be his coach. I want to be his dad. Yeah. I want to support him. Uh, I'm more there in the field than on the road because when he's with Little Track on the road, uh, he has his own coaches. He's doing the stage races, and I want not to be involved too much. I think it's good that he also learns from other people. When he's in cyclocross, I'm there always. I can help him uh, before, after, uh, and even coaching in the race. But his training schedules and all those things, that's not something I want to do. He needs to discuss that with his coach, and that's a good balance we have. The best uh, way how I can say it is when a dad and his son or his daughter has the same passion, that's a dream uh, comes true. Uh, we are riding our bikes uh, together, uh, talking about cycling, about <laughs> the new things on a bike, uh, the, where we travel to. Um, it's amazing that you can, that you can uh, create something with your own son. Traveling around the world together, going to uh, to Waterloo to the track company and uh, riding a World Cup over there, and wow, that's that's a dream come true. Eh? Tell me about one because it happened to me and my own father, and I'm sure it's going to happen with my own son. The moment where the crossover happens, there's a point where you can support him, and you know you're always the better, you're older, you're stronger, you're more experienced. But then there comes a point where you're waiting for dad, you know, and he's waiting for you. As at the crossover, do you remember that moment where suddenly you're like, yeah, oh. There was always a game in between father and son, uh, and and I lost. I lost the game. <laughs> At a certain moment, you feel that he's doing one acceleration, and 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 you're losing it. Uh, you're getting old, and you need to yeah, you need to handle the age, the situation. It is it is what it is. Um, and now we yeah we laugh about it. Uh, we be having fun, and and it's really it's really nice. But I always try to uh, do 
when we communicate after the race, I say, okay, hey, to go, uh, learn from it, uh, make mistakes. Uh, I try to to get the pressure really low. For himself, he's getting the bar, the, the, the bars really, really high. He wants to win every race, and I see that he's sometimes disappointed. And I say, okay, there is uh, t- tomorrow. There's another day, but yeah, that's that's the young uh, the young guy who wants to win and to make career. I saw that that uh, he wants to make from his hobby his his job on a certain moment, but that all those things come together now. That's something I hmm. I didn't see that coming. Uh, it's something that's yeah. I see now and I say, wow, uh, it's going really quick. Well, Sven, he's got a lot to tick off. You've set the bar very, very high, but I think he's going to have fun trying to tick off lots of your records along the way. And I know you'll be happy You'll be happy if he can tick them off too. Thank you very much for coming on the pod and giving me the time. I really love chatting to you. You're welcome. And always welcome on a cyclocross ride, uh, ride and, and, uh, and race in Europe. But let me know when you're here. I can't wait. I'll be riding your bike again. Okay, perfect. Well, what an absolute pleasure, Sven Nice. And like I said to you, you've got to agree with me, he can talk at all different levels. He can talk about the pros right now, he can talk about when he was in it, but he can also explain the sport to a gomad like me. I had the absolute pleasure of learning the sport with him at his very own training centre over there in Baal. The Cannibal from Baal. What an awesome guy. So happy to have him on the podcast. Guys, this will be the last episode of Life in the Peloton this year. Typically, Life in the Peloton follows the road calendar. And as we're approaching the end of the season, Life in the Peloton is wrapping up as well. And we will be back for 2024, ready to rock and roll come January. We do still have a couple of talking loops left. I'm going to run them, one in November and one in December. So guys, we'll still have a little bit of stuff that you can listen to once a month, but everyone needs to have a little break. It is off-season time, and I like to sort of kick back and have a few cold ones as well. So guys, that'll be all from us this season. A massive thanks goes out to Will Jones from Red Bricks Media, who puts these episodes together, and I'm looking forward to collaborating with him next year as we've got some exciting episodes in the works big thanks goes out also to life and peloton team megan spurlow and of course rafa our proud partner and you guys love hearing from you send your feedback in send some ideas in whatever you want to do i want to hear from you thanks very much for listening guys and i'll be seeing you in a couple weeks on talking loft cheers The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.